0: Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about our sponsor. The University of Dallas is a premier Catholic liberal arts institution, renowned for its rigorous core curriculum and thriving graduate programs. Careers in ministry, teaching, business, humanities, and science are formed here. With campuses in Texas and Rome, Italy, students begin their pursuit of a life well lived. We have two alums of Dallas here at First Things on staff, and they are both superb. For more information on the University of Dallas, visit udallas.edu. That's udallas.edu. David Ruth is Dean of the University of Austin Center for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. Previously, he was military professor of mathematics at the United States Naval Academy. He joins us to talk about the University of Austin, the project, which is an interesting experiment in higher education that promises to develop in interesting ways in, in years to come. Dean Ruth, welcome.
1: Mark, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Well, Why don't you first tell us the, the history? of the university. Why did it come into being? Who were the players? Sure.
1: Uh, So uh, almost two years ago today, Mark, on November 8th, night of uh, 2021, uh, Pano Canelos uh, essentially uh, publicly launched the University of Austin uh, through uh, Barry Weiss's substack at the time called Common Sense. And um, that connection was based on the fact that Pano, Barry, and a few other uh, leading uh, thinkers, uh, intellectuals, and doers. Uh, that also includes uh, Neil Ferguson, uh, Joe Lonsdale, who's the chair of our board currently. Uh, folks who uh, recognized that higher education was vitally important uh, also had the sense that something was terribly wrong with higher ed. And so uh, those folks is a very, very small group of uh, people with uh, big ideas and big aspirations uh, publicly launched the idea of a university. And when I say the idea of university, I'm talking a handful of people and uh, no resources, no brick and mortar, nothing other than uh, a commitment to do something important. So those are the, the main players that launched this almost two years ago today.
0: Great. And and the founding group, uh, I mean, was there any particular campus episodes during that time, maybe that, that they personally experienced or that earned wide coverage that sort of turned them from being uh, a little distressed at 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 the course of the campus into people who said no we've got to do something we have to show an alternative here any any specific things that happened sure so um to those particular individuals i'm not aware of any specific
1: uh, slights or uh, cancellations or troubles but uh, they were in networks of folks that were experiencing these things so um uh, the data were starting to pile up against the idea that universities were still doing their job, you know, uh, faculty and students uh, making, uh, you know, uh, claims about not being able to voice opinions and things like that. Um, but but people like, uh, I'll, I'll cite one particular uh, individual who's connected with us. Uh, Dorian Abbott is a prominent um, uh, academic at the University of Chicago, and he was invited to give a prestigious lecture at uh, MIT. And um, he was... Uh, canceled from giving that talk based on not anything that was the subject of his talk, but rather some claims he had made about how he felt about uh, the role merit ought to play in admissions. And so um, uh, there's there's sort of a long cast of folks that were in the inner circle of uh, these founders uh, that just sort of were many straws to break the camel's back.
0: Okay. And did they envision the University of Austin sort of on a traditional model, a conventional, you know, small college, at least uh, to, to start uh, running classes in, in, in the usual ways? Or was there something maybe more innovative about about the model?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So on the one hand, there is some uh, bit of the old that I think we're trying to uh, resurrect this idea that, um, I think every university, if you ask them true or false, universities have the mission to uh, discover, transmit, and preserve knowledge. I can't imagine a university that would not answer uh, in the affirmative that that's the purpose. And uh, we believe that that's actually been a thing universities have been about for not just uh, years or decades, but for centuries. And yet um, that core mission is, uh, we believe, uh, starting to sort of get worn away by other uh, other activities at universities, um, generating activists and, uh, and building up sort of monolithic ideologies and things like that. So, um, to your question, uh, we think there's a lot of good in the original idea of universities being the place where you can think the unthinkable test opinions, have ideas come together and uh, clash with evidence and discourse to, to make better opinions. And so, uh, we actually think that's not innovative at all. It's just becoming more sparse. Um, but uh, regarding curriculum, uh, we also think that uh, universities may not be doing the best they can be doing to make the uh, founders and the builders and innovators of the 21st century. And so we do have some curricular designs that particularly have that in mind. How might we innovate if you're starting a new university to, to make founders? So
0: that's uh, those will be new things we do. When that announcement was made, the, the school was open, that official announcement uh, hardly anybody noticed. Uh, there were no faculty or student inquiries. Everyone ignored you. There was no media coverage. Is that correct?
1: Uh, no, not quite. <laughs> so so um, uh, there was this. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, there was this sort of uh, burst of time where suddenly we were the I want to be careful about overinflating this, but I think we were the number one trending story on Twitter for at least a couple of days. I personally don't know how oh, yeah. much value to add to that sort of uh, that sort of feature, but, uh, for a while, uh, people were, um, in fact, they were attacking the idea of us, uh, and, and we didn't, weren't even born. We were sort of an idea was born, but we certainly, uh, were sort of this, um, uh, we became the straw man that folks who I think perhaps are more interested in, uh, the way things are rather than making things the way they ought to be, uh, did certainly kind of barrage us for text. And then for a while, I think, um, There are folks that thought, okay, they died. We haven't heard anything about them. And uh, so we we did our job. In the meantime, um, we've hired faculty. uh, We've secured campus. We uh, have raised nearly $200 million in less than two years. And uh, we are, um, maybe I'll take this opportunity now. We were certified five days ago by the state of Texas to operate as a university. So uh, we are five days ago, we were a 501c3 called UATX. Uh, we are now the University of Boston, and uh, we're going to make a big public announcement next week. Uh, you may, you know, next week is when November 8th happens. You may not be surprised that we intend to uh, be uh, advertising everything that we plan to do to, to the whole wide world. But uh, we're, we're the real thing.
0: Yeah, I want, I want to get to the, the accreditation uh, process, the certification process in, in a few minutes. But uh, apart from the massive media coverage, I mean, it was huge. Uh, this was a story and you, you it was also a lot of judgment in these stories. And, and I'm reading this as that they haven't even begun. Why are you already weighing in? I mean, hey, let this let's happen. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. Uh, but somehow you, you struck a chord uh, that hit hit perhaps some insecurities that, that are out there, some recognition that things are not really right and that people maybe don't want to face that fact but you also got from a whole lot of faculty and students inquiry letters, curiosity. Yeah. Thousands, we sure.
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I now am privy to the inquiry list that uh, we got back then. In fact, my name is on it. I was one of the thousands of professors uh, who, uh, and I, I wanna be clear, I was, uh, I was very, very uh, satisfied uh, with uh, the great institution I was involved in, and yet I recognized this thing they were doing in Austin really mattered. And I wanted to be involved in, at the time, I just wanted to be involved in keeping up to date, thinking about how I might contribute. Uh, Had no idea back in November that uh, seven months later, I'd be signing a contract to be the dean for STEM. But yes, thousands of faculty inquiries, uh, anywhere from please hire me now to teach, all the way to uh, I think what you're doing matters. And I would just like to be part of the legion of folks that helps make you successful. So very, very encouraging. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. One thing it was cast as a conservative initiative. And and I I that and then I looked at your list of advisors, uh that that didn't seem to quite add up. How would you characterize the orientation of of the leadership if you if you had to use political terms? Uh maybe if I had to I would punt. No, I won't do that
1: at all. Uh what I will say is that uh the leadership uh we are committed to intellectual pluralism. And what that means is that if we do our right job right, uh, the cast of leaders, both administrators and faculty, I'm at the intersection of that group, are going to fill space from across the board. Um, I think that we do, a few of us probably bend slightly conservative from what I would call mainstream academia, but I, then I would say, well, that's not saying much. Anybody, uh, any random draw from America, I think, would bend slightly to the right of academia writ large. So, um, but but quite a quite a, uh, an array of backgrounds, and certainly, if you look at our advisories, our advisors, uh, we have uh, people from the entire range of the political spectrum.
0: Right. I mean, that's what I see, and then the commitment is sort of First Amendment, open inquiry. Which can come from a lot of different parts of the spectrum. Uh, that's what it looks like to me. Now, in terms of the students coming to you, wanting to be involved, the faculty coming to be involved, isn't it a little risky for faculty and students to join a, a fledgling operation? Uh, what, what was the attraction for, for them? Not, not just you know dissatisfaction with their own, but what about you? was appealing
1: sure so so i'll start with me personally and then i'm gonna uh maybe uh uh, extrapolate to what i think might be the broad draw to both faculty and students because you're exactly right Uh, coming to a place like the university of austin which has zero track record right we haven't well we've done some things since we launched but as of november of 2021 the university had not done a single thing and so i'll tell you what attracted me And, and my case i think is um is is unique. I was uh, I was a military professor at one of our nation service academies, which I think are fabulous institutions, and I was thrilled to be part of my uh, institution. Uh, and I uh, I personally was reaching a point. Uh, I had reached the point in my military career where uh, the time sort of the the Constitution, or I'm sorry, the uh, U.S. Code says this is when your career will end as a military person. And thank you for your service. And uh, there, it's time to do a new thing. And I was excited, uh, I still have a lot of gas in the tank, I think, and I wanted to be part of something important. And I was looking really across the spectrum of activities, not just in academia, uh, in industry, in, uh, in other pursuits. And um, I think it's, it's um, I'm very fortunate that this opportunity cropped up exactly when I was looking for what I'm gonna do when I grow up. And so uh, I already wanted to do something meaningful, special, different. And, uh, this was an opportunity screaming to do such a thing. And, uh, I've had quite a bit of experience with both leadership and as a professional academic, uh, in over the last 30 years. And I felt like I was a good fit. And so, uh, it's turned out to be a great fit for me, um, more, more broadly. Oh, Boy, go yeah. ahead.
0: No, go uh, ahead. I was go just going to
1: say more broadly, I think there are many, many folks out there that it is intriguing to be part of a thing that looks like it could really make a difference in an area that matters, um, I think most people think higher education should matter. It should be influential. It should be shaping our society. It should be a thing that is a great part of at least America. Um, And uh, for folks who want to be part of a thing like that, I think that that attraction uh, uh, overcomes at least some of the the concerns about the risk that uh, we still haven't done what we purport we're going to do yet.
0: You know, a lot of young people want to get involved in something when they leave the house from high school, something a little daring, a little adventuresome. Uh, tell us about the initiative called Forbidden Courses. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question, uh, Mark. I'll, uh,
1: I I wish I could say I made this up, but Pano has uh, reported that when they thought about the names for this, uh, on the one hand, Forbidden Courses is a little cringy. And then on the other hand, if you want to attract somebody who's between 18 and 22 years old to a thing, uh, say that it's forbidden and they'll come flocking to it, right? So uh, whether or not that's true, uh, what we uh, what we designed to do was not so much teach courses that um, are forbidden per se as far as their content, but uh, teach courses in an environment where... Um, questions that students might think are forbidden or discussions that might be forbidden on their college campuses could be openly uh, engaged with. And uh, that was really uh, the primary focus of this Forbidden Courses effort was to bring students who are already in college environments and show them this is what it would look like if you could actually uh, voice your opinion. And uh, if you could do this in a context where we guarantee we're going to foster and model uh, these uh, sort of uh, principles of civil discourse and encouraging open inquiry, and so we had folks from, uh, you know, we had uh, we had people in the seminar who were uh, I won't pick any particular um, sort of political labels, but people who were on opposite ends of the most extreme spectrums sitting together, saying things that uh, completely butted heads with each other, but did it in a way that was um, that helped sharpen both opinions, and uh, nobody yelled at each other, nobody punched anybody. Uh, it was just really amazing. This sounds to
0: me a little unsafe. I'm not so sure.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Mark, uh, the, uh, this notion of, uh, what safe ought to mean. Uh, one of my, one of my favorite quotes is from a, as a book by C.S. Lewis, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, where folks ask about the lion character and uh, someone says, Oh, well, is he safe? And folks look at him and say, uh, look at the, the question answer says, well, nobody said he was safe, but he's good. And so this, this notion that, um, Safety ought not be the sort of end uh, game. Of, cu- of course, we aren't going to have spaces that are dangerous for people in any existential way, but ideas are things that ought to collide. Uh, they ought to bump up against each other in a healthy environment where um, ideas are sharpened by collision is sort of the, my mental model. Yep. For
0: this. Uh, one point of having you on is partly just informational. Uh, tell, tell our listeners, what is the Polaris Fellowship Program?
1: Yes. Uh, So uh, the Polaris. Well, so we have a Polaris Fellowship, uh, which is an extra, which is not part of our uh, degree program. And then we have a Polaris Project, which is a through line of our institution. So I'll talk about the former very briefly and then I'll focus on the latter. So uh, we did our first sort of uh, graduate level type course of instruction over the past year. It was fall of 22 to spring of 23 where we had folks that were graduate student level, maybe they were actually graduate students or recently graduated from law school, and they participated in a program that was uh, mostly online but had an in-person uh, uh, component uh, that was involved in uh, preparing them to be better leaders, entrepreneurs. It was almost like an MBA program with real intent to sharpen you for entrepreneurship. Um, so, so that's the thing labeled our Polaris Fellowship. Um, we, uh, we currently have what's called the Polaris Project, uh, which is, and maybe the word Polaris is becoming uh, overwhelming in our lexicon, but um, the Polaris Project is actually a through line in our undergraduate program where students will, from uh, when they walk on board, we're actually going to start, they'll have a Polaris retreat prior to even classing up, where we start to get them thinking about how they can uh, bring their passions and their skills to points of human need in the in the way of some sort of meaningful project that's gonna involve building and creating and innovating. And uh, they're gonna to get to spend their first year developing these ideas, thinking about what is it that I would do? And then really the majority of their uh, second, I'm sorry, their second, third and fourth year key component of their instructional program will be being engaged in developing this particular project. It's sort of an anti-capstone idea where instead of having students at the end of their senior year, Faculty thinks they're bringing all these tools to bear and the students are thinking, I wonder how much I'm going to be asked to remember from my last classes. They're going to be developing a project as they're taking classes. And uh, we hope that these, uh, the curricular build and the project will reinforce each other in a way that lets the student do something that's really
0: meaningful. Yeah. In the process of certification or accreditation, did you hit any serious high hurdles did, did you sense any resistance to the project among the uh, powers that be?
1: So um, l- let me clarify that certification or authorization to operate as a university and accreditation are actually two distinct processes. Uh, so uh, the authorization process to be certified in Texas as a university is the one that we just completed. And um, hurdles. Uh, I think that there were bureaucratic hurdles that weren't uh there was no malintent that I was aware of is that, you know, I was part of the team that put together this nearly 2000 page application uh, in order to meet the requirements for certification in Texas. And we had, uh, we had a very thoughtful visiting team. Uh, The Texas higher education coordinating board was uh, stayed engaged with us. Uh, None of those people had certified a new university ever. And so I think a lot of the things that were hurdles were more, all of us trying to just, figure out how you actually do this in Texas. Um, so, so no, we, uh, I, I didn't perceive any intentional, um, pushback, uh, any sort of, um, thing that was, uh, tried to make it hard. It just is hard. It's a, it's a huge mountain of bureaucracy to climb. And, uh, that makes it, I think very difficult for other universities even to get off the ground.
0: Do you have a typical, uh, uh, Curricular profile of the Austin students. I mean, how, how's the breakdown of, say, humanities, social science, STEM interests? I mean, I know there's this sort of leadership, strong leadership uh, uh, component, but what about in the, in those three traditional areas?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we are uh, our our um, curricular structure involves things called centers of inquiry, which the best analog to those would be uh, schools or colleges at other universities uh, where. Um, we have students who are wildly interested in uh, humanities and in the social sciences and in STEM. We're going to have to early on do some selection that balances across those groups. But um, the three areas that students will be able to focus in earlier on, uh, early on, one is arts and letters. And so um, that will be a very, um, that will be not so technical as far as uh, the curricular design for arts and letters. Although uh, we are on the verge of uh, being able to, Well, we're developing out, for example, a a film program there that will actually involve all sorts of uh, technical details that would support, say, filmmaking and things like that. Uh, We have a center for economics, politics, and history, which will will involve social sciences, but also um, some uh, typical uh, humanities endeavors like uh, applied history. And then in my center for STEM, uh, we intend to build out into a variety of uh, focus areas, but we're going to start with a heavy emphasis on computing science and data science. So, um, so those are going to be the sort of the first lanes that students will be able to make uh, curricular choices in. All
0: right. How, how, do, how do people find out about it? What's your website?
1: uaustin.org, U-A-U-S-T-I-N.org. Uh, stand by for a major public announcement on November 8th, the two-year anniversary from our launch. And uh, I hope that students are ready to apply.
0: Just to let just to tell people, .org, not .edu. That's
1: correct, .org, not uh, edu. And uh, I expect there will be a dot edu that comes soon, but dot is the correct thing uh, currently.
0: Okay. Uh, David Ruth, Dean, University of Austin. Thank you for joining us. Mark, thank you
1: so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.